Dear friends in Christ, welcome to this podcast from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. All Saints is a loving, welcoming parish serving Southeast Portland for over a century. Our purpose is to celebrate God's love, seek and serve Christ in all persons, and go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Today, we invite you to join the Reverend Andrea Skornick as she preaches the gospel and explores the mysteries of God in our modern world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all, Amen. As a preacher, every now and then you come across an interpretation of scripture that's way more interesting than what you had in your sermon. And every now and then that happens at 9 o'clock the night before you're about to preach. So I'm going to try and do a brief recap of an article that I read last night by Diana Butler Bass because it fits with what we're talking about today. In the article, Butler Bass talks about how in Sunday school, when they would read the passage we just heard, she would always ask, why the pigs? In Jewish tradition, pigs were considered unclean animals, so they wouldn't have had pigs, right? Her youth leader would, of course, give some answer that wasn't really an answer to her question. But years later, she discovered that she was asking the right question. And there are clues in the story that help answer it. Like how the town where all of this was taking place actually was one that had more Greek and Roman influence. So there wouldn't have been the same kind of strict adherence to Judaism. For the audiences hearing this text, it also had been the site of a massacre of over a thousand Jewish people by Roman soldiers. And notice, the demon's name is Legion. At the time, the Latin word legion meant a Roman legion, or a large division of imperial soldiers. So in other words, there is this man who represents the Jewish audience who had been brutalized by imperial forces, and he was being tormented by a demon named legion, think Roman oppression. Following other scholars like John Dominic Crossan, Butler Bass says that this is actually political satire. And she writes, This story is basically an allegory of imperialism. A possessed man is the state of, is the state of human beings under occupation. We go mad, tormented by death, stripped of dignity, The demon legion is the Roman army, and the pigs, perhaps not surprisingly, pork was a staple in the diet of imperial troops. Jesus sends the demons into the unclean food they ate, and they destroy themselves. The whole mess, the legion, the swine, drown like Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. Liberation, the man healed clothed and in his right mind was complete. The enemy vanquished, we are restored, and we can live as God intends. I love that interpretation. But however you want to read it, this is a story about freedom. 
As with so many stories of Hebrew scripture, in Jesus here we see that God is a liberating God who wants the people to be free. This story is also like so many others in the Gospels where Jesus heals someone and then instead of celebrating it, it makes some people afraid. It makes some people mad and they have just witnessed this miracle and God's marvelous action in humanity goes unappreciated, if not worse. Now all of this is especially interesting in light of the fact that today we celebrate Juneteenth, the longest standing celebration of the end of slavery in our country, a day where we celebrate freedom. But as we've approached this holiday, and in our work with the Voices Project, which is an organization that promotes leaders of color to support their Juneteenth celebrations in Portland, one of the questions that's been coming up is, can we celebrate? Can we celebrate when there is still so much injustice? Can we celebrate when it took two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation for black slaves in Texas to find out they were free? Can we, a predominantly white church in a predominantly white neighborhood, celebrate? Or as one person put it to me most bluntly, what's a white church doing putting on a black church celebration? These are good questions to be asking especially when it comes to the possible white appropriation of black culture. So this morning, I want us to hear the history of Juneteenth, which is a fairly new holiday for some of us. And I think that helps answer why, yes, we can and we should celebrate. When I was at the Voices Project Juneteenth Arts and Music Night on Friday, I heard the most moving account of this holiday. And all I could think was how I wanted you all to hear it. And little did I know that this artist, teacher, and influencer had been praying just minutes before that God would help this story get told. So I am so honored today that we are joined by Mercedes Munoz, Oregon's 2022 Teacher of the Year. She's an artist, educator, and co-author of the new curriculum being used by the Hollis School which is a culturally responsive public charter school in East Portland, centering youth of color, and it is launching this fall. So please join me in welcoming Mercedes Munoz. Um, good morning. First, thank you for the invitation to be here, Reverend Andrea. Um, I have to say that I have seen evidence of your partnership and participation um, at the Voices Project on um, Saturday or Friday evening. Um, and it was really beautiful because I, I saw the respect and reverence for a culture that folks were entering in to learn about, um, not trying to take it and, and make it performative, but actually leaning in to listen and to be present. And so that is what I'm going to ask of you today, is to be engaged and be present with me um, as I share this piece with you. So a couple things to note. Um, it is historical fiction. Um, I have used parts of my grandmother's story 
Um, she is 98, she is alive, and she does keep the oral history and traditions alive in our family. Um, when, when God gives me a poem or poetry, um, I usually hear it in my head first. And there's a line or a song, um, and I'll just sit with that and then wait for the rest of the piece to unfold, um, as I did with this. And so the first image that really came to me was thinking about the news being delivered on the plantation in Texas for these humans. I don't call them slaves. They were humans first and enslaved peoples. And so for these enslaved peoples to get the news that they have been toiling away for yet another two years before the news actually travels down that they are free. What might that scene look like? And then I was stuck with, well, how do I move the story from just this place in history and kind of wind it around to present day? And there were a few things that were really notable as I was writing this piece. Um, the events in Buffalo had just occurred. And my heart was heavy and it was it was definitely something I didn't want to touch on. Um, I couldn't bring myself to do that. But I wanted to capture the humanity of the people from which I come, the whole of them, um, without doing caricatures, right? So you'll notice that in this piece, there are at least four reliable narrators, right? There's Pa, there's Nico, um, there's my grandmother personified, and then myself. Um, I come from a tradition where there's interaction, there's snaps. When uh, Reverend a um, Andrea was just teaching just a moment ago, I'm like, mm, mm, and it's so quiet in here. I'm like, oh, Lord. Woo! So, um, you know, you can snap, you can smile, you can nod your head. Those things are very natural for me, and I'm inviting you into that space. Okay, last thing. I cannot sing, but I heard this old gospel spiritual that I grew up hearing as I was writing the piece, and I'm just going to recite it. I ain't going to sing because y'all would put me out, I promise. But it's Mary, don't you weep. Tell Martha not to mourn. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Tell Martha not to mourn. Pharaoh's army, don't you know that they drowned in the Red Sea? The voice trails off, squinting. Pa, what you see? Who coming? Shh, hush, child. I hear horses. Sure enough, we could hear hooves pounding. Pa, how many you think is there? Maybe 20. Master Lorraine tell you he was expecting company? No, sir. Should I go get Ma? Just walk down by the fields and start to whistle real slow. I'll cover until you get back. Hurry now. I don't suspect we got much time. It could be one of those men's to carry a few of us off to the sugarcane fields. A hush falls over them as the young child runs to do as he was told. 
Meanwhile, Paul lays out his smithing tools and goes back to hammering the iron. Just past the corn silk, the dark blue hats of soldiers can be eyed, two by two in steady succession, heart beating faster with each clomping hoof moving closer, Paul wipes the sweat from his brow, remembering four sons now gone, remembering lashed backs, lost hands, sun up to sundown, and sometimes nightly visits where old Lorraine creeps up the thin lumber steps, pushing at the door, spilling bowls of water and rattling the cheesecloth filled with beans and beans nailed to the back. This is all Pa has to booby trap his shack that Master owns. He owned the table and the bed, his wife and his child that's left, the rest of them gone, somewhere far down the Neches River. Pa shrugs trying to forget the unstorable memories as the horses and white men move closer. Just as Nico rounds the corner heading back from the field, his peanut head filled with black tufts, stiff like cotton mounted. Pa, Pa, Miss Pauline say they union soldiers. You hear me, Pa? They be union men. Last time the soldiers came through, they pillaged the fields, slaughtered the hogs, and took all the eggs. Old Lorraine was fit to be tied, too old for the war himself, and nothing but one shotgun, two no-count daughters, a dying wife, and 12 slaves left to hold the once thriving plantation in place. Out comes Lorraine. Clay, Clay, what's that I hear? Some stinking Yankees here on my farm? This time I promise I'll start blowing their heads off. You hear me? Grab that musket out the shed and shoot when I say shoot. Yes, sir. The scene is a flurry with the tin filled hands snatching cotton while peering through the corn, old Lorraine yelling, Nico eyes bugging, and Pa just standing still. By order of the United States government, we are here to inform the people of Texas that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former slaves and masters. And the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. It's been 30 years since we were free and left the, plant, left the Lorraine plantation. My pa wanted to find his people's last known to be in South Carolina, so that's where we headed down to the day them soldiers came with our free papers. Now old Lorraine just about had a stroke as the women in the field began to sing about Mary and Pharaoh. They hooted and hollered, cried and jumped, and then a hush fell over just about everybody. Missy Lorraine cried and begged us to stay, but Pa said no and made sure to make tracks before night fell. Ma wrapped a sack with cornbread, three potatoes, a piece of an old quilt, 
and a corn husk doll that had been my sister Nettie's. Lorraine sold her off as she gave birth, after she gave birth to his twins. Pa found work as a blacksmith on a farm that belonged to the Henrys. Ma was they wash and cook. I stayed on with them, helping with what I could, but I also never had an itch to do nothing more. I think I was just glad to be what they was calling free. 157 years. 157 years. That's how long it's been since General Gordon Granger made it to Texas to tell my great-grandparents they were free a whole two years, count them two, after President Lincoln signed the order. Now it occurs to me to ask why anyone would trust a government that based its entire financial system on chattel slavery and the swinging necks of lynch men with their lower extremities stuffed in their mouths and blood-soaked and blood-soaked land swindled away from the natives. I mean, the paper that the Constitution is written on and the proclamations of presidents might as well be cheap toilet paper. Looks good in the bathroom stall, but not when you put it to use. You hear what I say? 157 years. You think that's a long time? My maternal grandmother is 98. Sit with that. We talking about her mama, my grandmother, my mama, and me. That's how recent it is. One day, I mustered up the courage to ask, Grammy, how'd you manage to make it? Tell me your story. Well, it seemed like after my daddy died, I just loved my daddy, that I realized wasn't no way to move on from Kansas unless I found me a suitor. Now, mother, she did not like him. Tuskegee air baseman, skin darker than midnight, he wasn't too kind on the eyes, but he had a good job and he knew how to dress. <laughs> I didn't ask how they migrated to Kansas. I held my breath waiting for her to talk about the big, beautiful watermelons they grew before the stereotype of Jigaboo, how growing their own crops was a form of independence before it was co-opted and made to be a disgraceful symbol of people who shucked and jive rather than tilled and built everything. By my count, she has skipped at least four decades. We'll consider them lost in translation. My thoughts are interrupted by the sound of her voice. We caught a train going out west and wound up in San Francisco. Babies one, two, and three came swiftly. He spent his nights out at Bop City while I tended the children. Chugga 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 choo choo. Chugga 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 choo choo. Bop City is where jazz flew off piano keys, five saxophones, four trumpets, four trombones, and the drums used to scratch out 157 years of blues. Seem like we fling our prayers up in a kaleidoscope of melodies that allow the mind to relax, reorder itself, 
She speaks of Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Sarah Vaughan, and Lady Day, of big bands with big swing, and winds her way to Coltrane. You know, I loved San Francisco. Little country girl like me in a place teeming with people, trains coming from far south as Louisiana, Florida, Alabama. At first, folks flocked to port cities with shipyards, and once they closed, they just wanted to outrun old Jim Crow. I finally stumbled on a job cleaning houses. Shoot, <laughs> looked like the steadier my paychecks came, the sooner his took off. <laughs> well, yeah, when you've been through what he'd been through, you learn to make quiet with where a black man finds his peace. He died around 54, just about two months before Emmett Till. Shame the way they did that young man. Wasn't no riots then. We watched, we waited, we mobilized. I kept in touch with some of my cousins, long come Dr. King and Coretta, Medgar and Merle Evers, and Minister Malcolm, along with his wife, Betty Shabazz. I listen as she rattles off names that have filled my notebooks and research. She caresses them with both reverence and love before quieting herself. I have learned to respect this boundary of silence. There are pieces of her story that do not belong to me, are only mine to witness rather than hold. I think of blood-bought justice that pillages brilliant minds and leaves widows in their wake, whole people mourning, even still. Now you see over there, that's where the Black Muslim Bakery and Black Artist Repertory Theater sprung up. By then we were living over on Adeline. I about lost my mind when your mama came home with an afro after all those years of pressing her hair. <laughs> she was so impressed by Angela Davis and Huey P. Newton. Truth is, I was scared she was going to get herself killed. I went to one meeting. I figured it was okay. Food, medical, and a strong presence in the community. Hmm. You see how that turned out. After all that upheaval, I just focused on roof circle, work, and my children. Of course, now, they grandchildren. You remember the West Berkeley Library? Did I? Every Wednesday, we took a trip to Bayside Market, got Red Snapper, potatoes, and Heineken. Then off to the library, down University one side, Frosty Freeze on the other, back up San Pablo, and then on to Delaware Street. The whole time with rapid fire testing in between steps. Who was Paul Lawrence Dunbar? Where was Reverend Jackson, Jesse Jackson born? Recite a poem from Langston Hughes. Who is James Baldwin? Madam C.J. Walker, Marian Anderson, Shirley Chisholm. 
Well, I had to make sure you got your lessons. Oh, Grammy, how I got those lessons. You inoculated me with understanding. I remember crisscross applesauce on top of grass, whole family spread out. Uncles laughing in the background, slamming bones, mama on the grill, unpacking her potato salad, the raucous laughter and faces turned toward the sun. Giggles and sly cuss words from cousins sneaking whiskey from the car table. Fresh outfits and collard greens with neck bones broken down to tender flecks of meat we'd rush in line to get. I remember that you etched out a life, like you took mortar and pestle and ground out all the hard parts to create a powder and elixir of indigo used to paint us all alike. From the dirt roads of Texas by way of Kansas to California through barbed wire and train stations, you held down a corner took a legacy scattered across the Atlantic Ocean and tied the ends together. That tattered quilt became something that we carried into boardrooms, courthouses, colleges, and university campuses. That crazy canvas with its rough sides and places that don't neatly align and everything in between. You gave our jaws something to set to in a world that sends soldiers to deliver the proclamations of presidents to people, not slaves, two years after they first decreed it. 157 years of voices flung up like songs towards heaven. Humans, humans with voices, with real tears and hearts that thump Ears that catch both the unspoken and unstorable files that the eyes never again want to see. Us in our buggy top blacks, henna browns, and skin the color of pale pink flowers and scalded honey. Every hue made of stories that bump and jump along 24 by 7 inch frames. We who must find ways to narrate our own stories, create our own narratives, knowing the ones penned by so-called forefathers did not bear us in mind. So yes, in the words of Lucille Clifton, won't you come and celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and failed. Juneteenth is our celebration and joy, where the freed reconstruct their own legacies to become the free. Oh Mary, don't you weep. Tell old Martha not to mourn. Don't you know Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea?
I'm not going to pretend to try and follow that. <laughs> but I do want to make sure that we heard something in it. And that is the invitation to celebrate. The invitation in the Lucille Clifton quote, won't you celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Hers is like so many voices in scripture saying, won't you celebrate with me? The father of the prodigal son, the woman who lost her coin, the man in our story today who was freed of his demons. Won't you celebrate that evil, death, and destructive forces did not win, and they will not have the final word? Won't you celebrate that our God's desire is for all people to be free and live abundantly together? And on this day many years ago, our world came just a little closer to that dream. When Leroy Barber, the executive director of The Voices Project, was asked on the news on Friday if Juneteenth was just a day for black people, he said, no, it's for everyone who agrees with freedom and wants to celebrate freedom. To celebrate us moving from what was horrific to now where we can build a story together. He said Juneteenth is a holiday that should be as big as the 4th of July because it is the day that every American was declared free. Today, we can celebrate what our liberating, life-giving, and loving God is doing. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast offering from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. For more resources from All Saints, or to support this or our many other outreach ministries, please visit allsaintspdx.org.